As you grab your Bible, let me remind you that uh, on the last Sunday of each month, we do something that we've been doing about a year and a half now um, because it seemed like a great need among us after the uh, celebration of the 500th year of the Protestant uh, um, Reformation. We uh, quote together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the bulletin. It'll be on the screens in front of you. But before I ask you to stand, let me just, uh, there's, a, there's a sentence in there that seems to trouble you greatly. It has to do with uh, belief in the Holy Catholic Church. And there's a little asterisk beside it. You can figure this out. But guess what? We're studying the Apostles' Creed on Wednesday night and this coming Wednesday. How about that? Uh, we're going we're gonna to explicate that sentence in the Apostles' Creed. So I just know you'll want to be a part of hearing what it is that you're saying that you believe in. <laughs> and trust me, it has nothing to do with Rome. But come be with us on Wednesday nights. Now, would you all stand and let's quote together those things which are the elements of the things that we hold dear as people who belong to Jesus Christ. So, my brother and sister in Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you and be seated. An historic creed summarizing some of the things that the church has believed ever since her inception. Um, a creed that allowed the church to grow in the face of all kinds of heretical assaults. So that's what the Apostles' Creed was intended to do. Now if you grab your Bibles, let me read to you uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 18 of the book of Jeremiah. We here at Grace Evan study books on Sunday morning. We're in the book of Jeremiah. And we're all the way up to chapter 18. So you follow as I read the first 12 verses of Jeremiah chapter 18. It reads like this. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it, 
Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return, everyone from his evil way, and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Well, apparently it's time for Jeremiah to take another field trip. Um, don't you just love those field trips that Jeremiah takes? Uh, actually, they're, they're really parables. The last one we looked at was in chapter 13. You remember the loincloth that he was told to wear and it rotted? You remember all that? Well, this is another field trip. This is another parable. It's not a parable in the sense that Jesus tells parables, but it's, a, it's an Old Testament parable. And back in chapter 13, Jeremiah was a participant in the, um, in the parable. In this one, He's nothing but a watcher. Um, This is an image of the potter and the clay that is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45. Uh, Of course, you find it here. And then Paul uses the same image of clay and pottery maker or potter in Romans chapter 9. All I'm saying is this is an image that's found several places in the Bible, twice in the Old Testament, once in the New um, now, let me, let me just kind of explain the parable. It's not that difficult to understand. I'm sure you can do it without me, but it has only really two key parts. There is a potter and there is clay. Um, and this parable is about the relationship that those two things have with one another, the potter and the clay. So here's what's, ha- here, here's what's happen- here's a, is what happens in the text. God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And when you get there, just watch and then I'll talk to you. So that's what he does. He goes down to the house and he finds the, the, the potter at work. And as he is watching, the Lord talks to him. So in this parable, you have two key players, the clay this dead, heavy, amorphous lump having no possibility of spontaneously generating life, much less turning itself into some beautiful piece of pottery. And then you have the potter. The potter is the one with all the life. He's the one with all the power and all the rights and all the authority and all the energy and all the prerogatives and all the choices. We're told that his first attempt with this lump of clay went awry. And so he takes that lump of clay and the text says he reworked it. Now look in verse 4. 
He reworked it into another vessel. As it seemed good to the potter to do. Folks, this is a parable about God's relationship specifically to Israel, but generally to the whole human race. It is a parable that speaks pretty clearly, I think, of the sovereignty of God and the potter's right over the clay. That is, um, God does as he pleases with the clay. And men don't like that. They, they insist on being in charge themselves. The other part of this parable that has to do with the necessity of submission on the part of the clay to the potter, it has to do with the powerlessness of the clay that the clay is at the mercy of the potter what you really have is a a scene of clay in the hands of an angry potter so um, if God is the potter and we are the clay Is everybody okay with that? It's, it's almost a, an impudent question to ask. Am I okay with something that the Bible teaches, you know? And actually, I, you know, I really didn't come up with that question. There's a, the question appears in another parable, a New Testament parable. Do um, you remember the one? It's, it's found in Matthew 20. It's this... Um, what is he? He's a master of a house, and he goes out in the morning, and he hires some men to work in his vineyard at 6 a.m. He realizes he doesn't have enough, so he goes back and gets more at 9 a.m., and then he still realizes he's short, so he goes back at noon, gets some more, and then he gets some more at 3 p.m., and then he gets some at 6 p.m., who work only one hour. Um, and then at the end of the day, everybody lines up to get their pay. And the um, landowner, the master of the house, whose vineyard they've just worked in, decides to pay them all equally. And the workers don't like that. And we're told in this parable that they, um, they grumble. And they're, they're, they're put off with the the landowner or the, the master of the house doing this. And here's the question that he asks. This is in verse 15 of chapter 20 of Matthew. The, the master of the house asks this question. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Well, is he? Is he, is he allowed to do as he chooses with what belongs to him? You okay with that? Because, folks, 
in the main, people simply do not like how God operates. That's the parable. I, I want to show you, show you, secondly, that there is an appeal that he makes towards the end of the, the passage in this message that Jeremiah is supposed to bear about the clay in the hands of an angry potter. Um, part of the message is that towards the end, after he said several things about relenting of disaster and, and um, all of that, after that, he he makes an appeal in verse 11. And he says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Here's the appeal. Return. Everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Return? What, what is that all about? Oh, come on. That's, that's pretty simple, folks. The, 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 the appeal is, is a call to repentance. He is calling upon his audience to make a spiritual U-turn. I, I would say it's also a call of mercy because it suggests that there is a way back to God, which there is. He says... Return every one of you from his evil way, which may be different in each case here. I mean, we've all got our own particularized evil way. For some, it may be, um, it, it may be immorality, and, and for others, it may be got an anger problem, or it may be, a, for a few, addictions, and for others, it it, it, for, for most all of us, it's self-righteousness. But whatever our sin of pre- preference, God says, leave it. Leave it and return. There is no heaven for the man who will not leave his sin. To not respond to this appeal to return. I hope you notice it's in verse 11. To not take him up on his offer is to make oneself the subject of disaster. I I didn't make up that word. It's in the text. Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you that God is devising a plan against me does that not unnerve you that the God of the heavens and the earth is is shaping and devising a plan against me you know folks if it doesn't in some way unnerve you I can think of but one explanation 
as for why it doesn't. And that is, my explanation is that you don't believe it. You don't believe that there's a disaster or that God is devising a plan. That, that's the only explanation I could possibly come up with as to why one wouldn't return. Because I don't believe that. It is also the only explanation I have for the response that they ultimately make in verse 12. The, the, the response to the appeal is outlined for you in verse 12. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, it is breathtaking. That is their response to the appeal of God. It's, uh, it's breathtaking. Look at it. They say, that is, in, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart? The clay responds to the potter by rejecting the message and the offer and the appeal that the potter makes. The clay responds to the bearer of the message, who is Jeremiah. That's a waste of your time. I mean, that, that message that you have, Jeremiah, about returning, um, we don't believe that message. We don't like the message. And I didn't read this part over in verse 18. But we're going to do something to get rid of the messenger as well. That's verse 18. Guys, in that response of verse 12, can you not see the damage that sin has done to all of us? When offered a chance to escape and be reconciled to God, their reply, escape from what? What, what, what this, you see, I don't believe that there is any plan being devised against me. And you keep mentioning this sin thing. What sin? And then, of course, you, you're always talking about this Savior. But you see, if I don't have any sin, I certainly don't need your Savior. I'm not guilty of the first, so I don't need the second. In, in fact, I, I like my plan better. Because you see, my plan involves me saving myself. The God who is portrayed as sovereign in this, this parable 
who is one who does as he wills with lifeless clay. Issues an appeal. One that will bring restoration and healing and forgiveness. And men turn up their noses. And then they go on to rewrite the story. And their story goes something like this. I'm a good person. You ever heard that? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good person. And I'm in charge. And I can save myself, thank you. And by the way, I want you to stop calling me clay. Now, folks, I, I want you to notice that this is not a rejection based on intellectual doubt. Oh, no. It is utter defiance. It is rebellion. It is, the text says, stubbornness. It is, I prefer to do things my own way. I have my own agenda. And I have my own self-salvation strategy. And you keep preaching this all you want, but you are wasting your time. It's all in vain. Guys, can sin really make us that hard? I'm afraid it can. Given the choice between repenting or perishing, I choose perishing. And perish they did. Given this choice between repenting and perishing, I'll choose perishing because you see, that option allows me to dismiss all of this pottering clay nonsense. And very frankly, I don't believe that other message that Jeremiah brings. And thus he's wasting his time. We need to get rid of him because I intend to follow my own plan. Now, guys, I didn't read verse 13 because I try to keep my text somewhat manageable and short. But in response to that response, God says in verse 13, Therefore, in light of that response of verse 12, says the Lord, Ask among the nations who has heard of the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Indeed she has. And my friends, if you choose to remain outside of Jesus Christ, you too have done a very horrible thing. You know, among other things in these verses, folks, one of the things that I think is there by way of application is a strong warning to any of you who were raised in the church 
but have wandered away from the message and the person about whom the message is written. You know, you who once claimed to be a Christian, you loved vacation Bible school and you, and you went on all the youth trips and you prayed and you read your Bible, but that was then. And this is now. You did not intend to be to end up so far away from God. But look at where you are. You are as hard as verse 12. And there's no amount of pleading from this preacher or any other preacher that's going to move you. None of my ranting and raving is going to move you to return. You say, no, no. I will follow my own plans. And oh, my dear friend, you must wake up before it is too late. The issue is not that you have intellectual doubts. The issue is you have an evil, stubborn heart which again is drawn from the text. It's a heart that wants to be in charge. And, I, and I, you must know this, indeed, God is not after your lips or your hands. He is after your heart or all of you. The heart indeed is the issue. And it is a heart that is breaking under your own load of pride and pretense. My friends, you are not being asked to return to a path or to an ethic or to a morality. You're being asked to return to a person. A person? What person? Oh, you know. You're being asked to return to Christ, the Savior, the one that you are seeking to replace with self. Which is a lot like asking a piece of lump of clay to make it in it's to make itself into a a piece of hair in china my friend the appeal is to return and you say What? When I was a, um, a, a boy, um, I was raised in Methodist churches. And there was a song that we sang in the Methodist world. Um, it's, a, it's, it's very sound theologically. Um, it was a song that was written by a woman by the name of Adelaide Pollard. She was born, her parents named her Sarah, and she didn't like Sarah, so she changed it to Adelaide. I kind of like Sarah, but I hope there's no Adelaides here. Um, <clears throat> but, but anyway, um, Adelaide Pollard um, was a woman who never married. She, she always wanted to be a missionary to Africa. And she tried to uh, raise the funds to go to Africa. And she failed. 
she failed to, to raise enough money to get to Africa. And so she was heartbroken when she discovered that she had failed. And she went to a church meeting and she heard an older woman praying something which really convicted her. So she went home and she opened her Bible and began to study a passage. And the passage that she studied was Jeremiah 18 verses 1 through 4. And in response to that passage and her disappointment, she wrote this hymn. I only know one stanza, but I still remember the tune. It goes like this. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. It's a pleasant little ditty, isn't it? Do you know anything about that sentiment? Even a little. Our Father, uh, would you remind us that that's what we were and um, you have changed us into something altogether different by granting us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you do it again, Father? Would you do it all across this room? Would you do it with a young man or woman who has indeed wandered far away from you and grown awfully hard? Would you prompt them to see that the only path that is sane is the path back to you marked off with repentance? Would you show them, O oh God, that being yielded and still before the potter it's not a bad thing, but that it is the most sane posture in which to be found. Might we, O oh God, along with Miss Pollard, be able to express to you with great affection and confidence. Go ahead, Lord. Make me and mold me after your will. Do that, O oh God, for your own glory's sake and for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.